Good morning, church. Would you stand with me this morning? All right. I want to read something to you um, and just share a little bit. Um, We are, I'm sure, familiar with talking about God working things for good. But I want to read from the Passion Translation this morning from Romans 8, 28. And I want to actually start um, in verse 27. God, the searcher of the heart, knows fully our longings, yet he also understands the desires of the Spirit because the Holy Spirit passionately pleads before God for us, his holy ones, in perfect harmony with God's plan and our destiny. So, because of that, we are convinced that every detail of our lives is continually woven together for good. For we are his lovers who have been called to fulfill his designed purpose. For he knew all about us before we were born. He destined us from the beginning to share the likeness of his son. And so we're meant to be like Jesus. We're made in his image. Um, We are meant to experience the goodness of God. That is not our version of goodness. I'm sure if I went around and asked each of you, we'd maybe have a little bit of a different version of what our definition of good is. Um, I think in the natural, I think about, you know, it's good. We say it's good. Things are going good. You know, everything's working out well and all sorts of things. Um, Well, I want to tell you that in the natural, nothing has worked this morning. I don't know about how you came from home, if your cars worked, if your blow dryer worked, if your key worked to lock the door, if your car started, if it didn't start, I don't really know. Almost every machine in this building has broken or is broken. Um, we have people at home at si- homesick who are supposed to be here. I was supposed to be in a different state this morning. The rest of my family is gone, but my little one has been sick. God had other plans. Um, Donnie wasn't supposed to be up here this morning. I wasn't supposed to be up here this morning, but God is good. He's our provider. And I don't know how we could start this morning without recognizing his goodness and his faithfulness. That when we say he works all things together for his good, when the rubber meets the road, he does. And and you know what? Even if I woke up sick, Jen, he provides. It, It doesn't look necessarily how we think it will look. But we can trust in his goodness and his plan. So when we start this morning, God, we are starting just acknowledging your goodness, that we have joy in your house because you are faithful. No matter what may happen, no matter how it looks, no matter how it feels, we trust in your faithfulness. We trust in your goodness. And Lord, in spite of how we feel or what we've even seen this morning, God, we trust in you. And when it's hard to trust in you, God, would you bring people around us to remind us of your faithfulness, to help um, help us to see your goodness and your faithfulness, your trustworthiness, and would you lift us up when we need it, God? Thank you that your grace provides so much when we need it, God. You are so good. We love you. We praise you. We worship you this morning. Amen. Amen. Let's worship him this morning. He is good. He's good. So, so good. We have joy in your house this morning, God. You've made this day. We will rejoice and be glad in it today, God. We worship the God who was. We 
does deserve our praise because he's dependable trustworthy in all things the only thing uh, the only time where things fail is usually because of our fault Juliet brought up Romans 8 28 for all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose that word works together the Greek word for that 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 the Apostle Paul used when he wrote that is synerga, which we get our word synergy from. So you can, you, I mean, I've heard people say, yeah, that's all right, God, I've got it. It's all, it's all right, I've got it, I don't need you. But that word works together means that he can even take the good stuff. We can make good stuff out of good stuff, right? But he can make better stuff out of the good stuff because he synergizes it. He synergizes it. He makes it more than just, we can add up good stuff and make good stuff in the end, but he adds up good stuff and makes even more good out of it. So I don't just give God my bad stuff to work with. I give him my all. And so now as we go into this time of worship, which is our tithes and offerings, you're visiting here take your tithe back to wherever you go to church we do not want that tithe that that goes that belongs somewhere else for here you can give an offering if you'd like to but and we invite you to take part if you'd like but our tithes and offerings are us stepping out us acting on a faith that we believe in that we can trust god in all things amen so at the, we can give online, we can give in the buckets here during the third song, we can give in the green boxes uh, on the doors on the way out, you'll notice those if you want to put your ties in there, but, but that is an act of trust, trusting in God for all things. Let me pray for our offering. Father, we just lift it up to you to do the work of your kingdom here in this place, in not only in central Oklahoma, but, but in this part of the United States and helping people in in so many areas of life that we were able to help a blind girl, a a girl that's going blind and she needed an iPad to do her schoolwork so she could zoom in. It did that kind of work. And so, Father, we just ask your blessing on these gifts and on those who are giving that you'd work it together, you'd synergize it for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.
And his word says that he's here with us, that if we're gathered in the name of Jesus. So I, I want to pray for you before we begin. And I, I want to um, I want to pray for some people that are just sick and out this morning. So bow your heads with me if you would. Father, we just we trust in you for all things. And don't always understand why, why sickness happens. But Father, we regardless of that. We, we still trust in your ability to heal and keep us healthy. Um, I thank you for that personally. And I lift up those who are having problems this morning uh, for, for you to heal. Psalm 103 says you forgive our sins and heal our diseases. So we bless you for that. And lift them up trusting in you. Jesus' name, amen. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. I guess we need to wait for that to finish. Hallelujah. Everybody blessed today? Well, let's pray. Father, we thank you for the great awakening and allowing us to be a part. Yes, a small part, but a part. Thank you for vision. Thank you for a generation that's preparing for an influx of people that love Jesus. Thank you for allowing me to be a part, an extended part now. And I'm grateful in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Well, let's go ahead and turn in our Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. I want to continue to share on the promise God has made for change, the power God grants in our lives for change, and then the process of change. In 2016, I had a rhema word from the Lord that he was going to begin to reveal corruption at every level. And those who have been willing to see and an eye to see have been able to understand we're living in troubling times. We're living in dark times. We're living in times of great corruption. We've got for decades corruption in the media and for years It was just a matter of trying to convince even good Christian people, you're being lied to. Now it's dangerous. We're at a place now where propaganda has has come to a point that our children's lives are at risk. And we're on the brink of a third world war. And half the country at least is still asleep and embracing things that will contribute to the collapse of the country. And we need... An awakening. We need to see the corruption, not to be judgmental or critical, but to repent, to change, to change directions. And I don't know what it's going to take. I'm believing the awakening will take place. And God not only told me in 2016 He would reveal corruption, but in 2019 He began to share with me that we're in the beginning stages of a great awakening. And what we're beginning to see in Kentucky is just a, a sign of God moving, of people waking up to the deadliness of sin and a life without God. And it's going to continue. Politics is downstream from culture. The politics are as corrupt as, corrupt as they are because of the culture. 
I guarantee you, if the culture was to change and pedophilia was absolutely unacceptable in the culture, politicians would change their tune real quick. And so all we're doing when we look at these corrupt politicians, I'm not being critical of them individually or personally. They're downstream from culture and the culture is downstream from the church. And so it's time for us to wake up. It's time for for us to change. It's time for us to, to be the children of light God's called us to be. And I'm excited about seeing even the church begin to be shaken and repentance coming to churches throughout the country. It's beginning. I'm getting a lot less pushback on things that used to just anger people and offend people when I'd even bring it up. Now people are at least going, hmm. Drag queens in our libraries ministering to children is not a good thing. It's not love. It's not compassion. It's not right. And if we don't wake up, we're going to see an entire generation lost. And I believe, again, that the awakening is beginning and change is coming because God promised it. And God gives us the power to do it. And God has given us the process individually how to change, how to change a church, how to change a community. We, we, have, to, we have to have a heart for Jesus. We have to have a heart for the truth. We have to have a loyalty to Jesus. And a simple loyalty to Jesus will cause your eyes, the eyes of your understanding to be enlightened so that you can make a positive difference in your world. So let's go over this promise of change. Let's go over the power to change and then the process of change. In 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 17, Paul is comparing the old covenant law, an administration of condemnation and death, but he said it had glory to it. And he's comparing that administration of the law that God gave to reveal sin And he said it was glorious. But that the new covenant of righteousness, the born again human spirit that is made righteous and truly holy. And the administration of the spirit is much more glorious than the glory of the old. How many of you know that you can't be saved until you see you're lost? It's impossible to be saved until you know you're lost. It's impossible to be made righteous in the eyes of God if you don't see you're a sinner in the eyes of God. So the law was given to reveal what's wrong. It was given to reveal sin and there's a glory to that. But the glory that now excels in the new covenant in the face of Jesus is so much more glorious than that old covenant glory. That glory has no glory Compared to the glory that we now have in Jesus. So there's a place where it's glorious to see you're messed up. That's a moment of glory. Because now you can go to heaven. Now you can miss a devil's hell. Now you can be made righteous by faith. Instead of self-righteousness. Now you can be awakened instead of woke. Amen. Now you can repent. Change your mind. Change your direction. Go God's way. The narrow way. The straight gate. 
that leads to eternal life and avoid the broad way that leads to eternal death, eternal separation from God. For years, there was this movement that there are many ways to God. No, there's only one way to God. It's the cross and Jesus Christ and Him crucified. There are many ways to go to hell. And you don't want to go that way. And the beginning of being saved is seeing I'm lost. The beginning of being made righteous by faith is seeing I am not righteous without God. And so once the glory of the revelation of my need for God comes, I accept Jesus Christ and now that glory has to fade. What was wrong has to fade. Guilt and condemnation and that administration has to fade and now you need to behold the glory of God in the face of Jesus. You need to see how good God is to you. And it's the goodness of God now that leads us to repentance. To repentance. Look here at verse 17 and 18 now of 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Now the Lord is that spirit. And where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. There's liberty to change. There's liberty to, to go another direction. There's, there's liberty to not only find but fulfill the will of God for your life. There's liberty to be the husband you really want to be. There's liberty to, by God's grace, break the power of sin. How many of you know Romans chapter 5 verse 20 says, Where sin abounds, and sin is abounding in our culture, but guess what abounds much more? Grace. It doesn't matter how far you've gone in sin and the power and tyranny of sin can be broken by the power of God's amazing grace in Jesus Christ. I tell you, it's exciting to me behind the scenes. And you can get mad at me and many of you have and probably will. But I care and I love people in gender confusion. I love them so much I want to believe God for them to be awakened before they mutilate their bodies. I want to protect our children. That need stability. That need boundaries. That need to understand. There's male and female. And get that settled quickly. So they can find their destiny as a male. Their destiny as a female. But it's exciting to me to see people coming to me privately. That have even transitioned. That have seen the pain of this. The evil of this. The destruction of this to their lives and are transitioning back. How many of you know if you've transitioned from one gender to another, God loves you and you can find your way home in Jesus. Amen. You can find your way home in Jesus. I had someone hit me up in the foyer years ago. Crying, thanking me while some of you were angry at me. Over righteousness and purity and God's morality and God's plan for man. This person had trans, transitioned and, and was just absolutely miserable and devastated by it. And had heard me ministering and got hope and was trying to transition back. You know, the world loves its own. But let, let someone of the world and the world's own... Turn and head toward God and you'll see the world reject them. The same people that censor me for speaking the truth in love. The same world that celebrates hormone blockers and, 
and, and surgery, manipulating, mutilating people's body, they'll celebrate these people and they'll be on the front of every newspaper and headline, but let them decide this isn't good and want to transition back, they'll be censored just like I'm being censored. I believe the awakening though is greater than the darkness and that our children are going to be saved. Our children are going to be protected. People, parents are going to step up to the plate and realize God gave those kids to you, not Joe Biden. God gave those kids to you, not the school boards. And you need to protect your children. You need to to get your children in the presence of God their creator and teach them early to worship the creator not creation creation and so there's this liberty that the holy spirit brings us to be free from the tyranny of sin be free from the darkness be free from blindness be free from demonic oppression demonic depression demonic assault on our homes on our businesses On our churches, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty to love God now. There's liberty to serve God. There's liberty to serve and love one another with the God kind of love that speaks the truth in that love. He goes on to say in verse 18, But we all with open face beholding as in a glass or a mirror the glory of the Lord are changed into the same image from glory to glory. Even as by the Spirit of the Lord. We have eight statements of the process of change. How change works in your individual life. How you can disciple a church into change. How you can bring change to your community. How we can see change in our culture. That will begin to change the landscape of our politics. Where people who celebrate The death of a baby in the womb, the death cult of abortion will no longer be elected into power and into office where there will be an awakening. There will be a revival throughout our nation where the culture will be affected by the church and that will affect politics and people who hate the country will not be able to be elected anymore by the by the grace of God. People who want to destroy your children. People who who want to take away all your liberty and freedom of speech. Freedom of assembly. Freedom of worship. Will not be able to get anywhere near a political office. Because the culture has been affected. Because the church has been affected. And because we learned how to change. We learned how to change. Hallelujah. Eight statements. I'm going to go through these eight statements in one verse quickly. In my messages on predestination, I spent two hours on these eight and I kind of got stuck on the nine, excuse me. And and so I never got to the glory of God. So I'm just going to fly through these. You can go back to that series on predestination that I take each point of verse 18 and elaborate further. Number one, he says, but we all, thank God under the new covenant, There's no mediators between us and God. And we can all have a relationship with God. We can all know Him face to face through our faith in Jesus. We can pray and not have to go through mediators. We can change. No one has a corner on God. In the old covenant, they had mediators. Moses, if you will, had a corner on God. And he got to go up 
onto the mountain and have a face-to-face talk with God. A face-to-face relationship as a friend. Seventy elders were invited up. And they had communion with God on Mount, Mount Sinai. But even in God on earth, even God in the tabernacle, there were all these mediators. There was the high priest. And only he and he only once a year could go into the Holy of Holies. The unveiled Shekinah presence of God. And so you had that mediator. You had the priest offering up the sacrifices for you. I, I can't tell you now i got to get off of this. But I get excited. Because I did sit in church. All the way up to age 17. And I thought people had a corner on God. I really did. I thought God had a select elect. That some people just. They just know God. And I'll never be able to know God like they know God. They have a relationship with God. I, I thought I was flawed. I thought something's just wrong with me. Because I f- keep failing. And I never even heard a preacher my whole upbringing just stand up and say, Hey, I have failed. I'd have freaked out. Then I would have got hope. Because if that guy's failed and God's using him, maybe God can use me even though I failed. So we all, unlike under the old covenant with all the mediators, there's no mediator. Jesus is the only mediator between us and God now. And we can go into the presence. You can pray as long as you want to pray. You can spend as much time in the presence of God as you want to spend. We all. No exceptions. None of you are too flawed. Some of you, I've doubted. I get it. <laughs> They're the ones that didn't laugh. Hallelujah. <laughs> we all doubt ourselves at times. I've doubted people at times. But I'm telling you, we all can change. We all can fulfill God's will for our life. We all can have functional families. We all can have careers that flourish in a bad economy. And on and on I can go with how God is no respecter of persons. That whatever He's done in my life, I'm so confident of it. I expect Him to do it in your life. Because we all. Not the select elect. Number two. But we all with open face. Beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord. Unlike Moses, 2 Corinthians chapter 3 verse 13 says, Unlike Moses that veiled his face, this is where I want to get to before I run out of time, Moses saw the glory of God on Mount Sinai and he reflected the glory of God. He came down off of the mountain, his face was glowing. And he put a veil over it because it scared the people. I don't care how much... God's holiness scares this culture. I don't care how afraid people are unnecessarily of the true and the living God and His holiness. I will not put a veil over my face on who Jesus is and what Jesus has done in my life. That I know Jesus can set you free from drugs. He can set you free from alcohol. He can set you free from any perversion at any level. And I'm not going to put a veil over my face. I'm not going to Cover up who Jesus is so that the culture can be comfortable with rebelling against Him. God loves them and God wants to reach them. And I got to let that glory that Jesus put in my spirit, man, be seen on my face everywhere I go. But we all, with open face, quit hiding what God has done for you and learn to share the goodness of God everywhere you go. But we all... Number two, with open face. Number three, 
beholding. Beholding as in a glass, a mirror, the glory of the Lord. Everybody say beholding. See, Moses went up on the mountain, Mount Sinai, and he beheld the glory of God and it changed him. But he had to walk away. He had to walk off of the mountain. And he was no longer beholding. He had beheld the glory of God. And when he walked away from it and had to go off into ministry now. And to bring the Ten Commandments to the people of God. That glory faded. This is, this is why you see dear ones. So many people come to church. They'll have an encounter with God. And I mean it'll change them. It'll just change them. But what they don't know is they beheld something at church. They beheld the goodness of God. They beheld it and it changed them. But they didn't know how to go out or leave church beholding the glory of the Lord. That's why you see some people just keep changing and changing and changing. And even have momentum of change. is because they've learned how to continually be beholding the glory. Not just come to church and for 15 minutes behold it. I told you I'm not going to get stuck on these. But that was a clue to help me. I beheld the glory of God in May... Of 1980 with an open vision of the cross. And had I walked away from having beheld it. It would have faded. And I'm confident I would have been right back into the world. And the things of the world. Like I was before I had the vision. But I beheld it. And then I learned quickly how to keep beholding. The glory of God that's been revealed at the cross. And it's been... Momentumous change for over four decades. And that's for everybody. And you just have to learn to discipline yourself now and learn how to be beholding, not having beheld. You ever met somebody and they say, man, I had an encounter with God back in 1922. (laughs) And they're all excited about what happened in 1922. And I'm not minimizing an encounter people may have in 1922 with God. But you better have some encounters with him today or it'll fade. That's why you see people like a yo-yo. Like a wooden yo-yo with a termite in it. (laughs) Just confused. Up and down and up and down. They haven't learned how to continually keep beholding the glory of the Lord. Number four. Number four. Notice that we're beholding as in a glass or a mirror the Greek says. God's word is a mirror of the spirit world and you cannot contact your spirit with your five physical senses. You can't contact your spirit and understand your spirit and the glory of God that's been deposited in your spirit with your carnal unrenewed mind. You don't contact spiritual things through philosophies and the philosophies of men or through mental assent. It's... It's a spiritual truth. And God is a spirit. And they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Well see the word of God is a spiritual book. Jesus said my words. He said the flesh profits you nothing. It's the spirit that quickens or makes alive. 
My words are spirit and life. God's word is spirit. It's not just a natural book, the Bible. It is a mirror. And it shows you the spirit world. None of us have seen heaven, but I guarantee if I ask for a show, I don't want to lie. 90% of you, if I ask for a show of hands, do you believe there's a heaven? 90% of you would raise your hand. Well, you've never seen it. You can't explain it with your carnal, unrenewed mind. You believe it because of the mirror of God's Word. It's revealed to you. There is a heaven. There are angels. And I could tell all kinds of stories, and I won't because I need to hurry here. But you've got to realize when you're reading your Bible, especially the New Testament, it's the mirror of the glory of God that's on the inside of you. See, the glory of God is in you. It's Christ in you, the hope of glory, Colossians 1.27. But you can't always feel it. You can't always discern it with your mind or your five physical senses. But it's real. Your spirit's real. You really are righteous. You really are a good man. Hallelujah. In Christ. But if you don't, if you don't behold it in the mirror of God's Word, you'll just look at your flesh. And you'll just, you'll just get sad. Kind of what I'm feeling right now as I look at your flesh. Like this is sad. Kind of like I feel when I look too long in the natural mirror. This is really sad. What happened, God? Every seven years, our, our cells are supposed to regenerate, hallelujah. Grow new skin, but I missed out on my new skin. Now, you can't look at your outer man. Yet, be honest. How many people in the church? Remember, 50% of the 80% that go to church aren't born again. That explains why there's all this racism still in the church. All this division still in the church. All this fussing and fighting still in the church. If you just see one another after your flesh, it's going to do nothing but produce death. Amen. I had to write a book called Counterculture, and I had to do a whole chapter for our young people on defining what racism is. Because there's people in our culture that will tell you certain groups cannot be racist. And that only one group can be racist. And that is a demonic lie. Racism is not a matter of skin. It's a matter of sin. Racism can be in the heart of anybody of any color. When you judge people according to their color. According to their race, that's racism. And yet we got a whole generation coming up that doesn't even recognize true racism in our politics. Racism on our college campuses. Racism on the 6 o'clock news. How can this be after all these years? Because... The devil, the spirit of Antichrist, wants us to look at each other after the flesh. Judge one another after the flesh. And the Bible forbids that. Can you imagine that? I may have to do another series on the new creation. That it absolutely forbids you. Commands you. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 16. You are to know no man after the flesh. Yea, though we have known Christ... After the flesh, yet now henceforth know we him no more. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. 
Why is that not a reality even in the church? It's because we don't even know. We didn't know Jesus after the flesh. I've seen arguments in churches. And I don't like to get into flesh arguments. But I've, I've watched arguments. And people trying to prove Jesus was black. Or Jesus was white. What is wrong with us? Jesus was a Jew. He was brown. Sorry. I, I, I just. I get. I lose my patience. It's like. We're just messed up. Why? Flesh. Why? We refuse to look into the mirror of God's word. And in the mirror of God's word. It says. In the new creation. There is neither Jew. Nor Gentile. Bond. Nor free. Slave. Or free. Black. Nor white. Male. Nor female. But we've all been made one in Jesus. Hallelujah. What is hard? And I, in some circus, circles, am accused of being extreme or ignoring natural things. I don't, I don't ignore that that's a woman. That's a woman. And we have a woman's bathroom. So we honor female. That's a male. There, there may be, there, there in a couple of our locations, there's physical, natural, after the flesh Jews. There's black people. There's white people. I'm not ignoring color. I just refuse to see you after the color of your flesh or your bank account. I love you with the love of God that's been shed abroad in my heart now by the Holy Spirit. I'm looking in the mirror, and the mirror says we're all one. The mirror says we're the temple of God. The mirror says we're the family of God. Only two families. God, God doesn't see all this division. <clears throat> God only sees people in Adam, and in Adam we all die. We're all judged. We're all sinners. Or people in Christ. And in Christ, we're all saved. We're all made righteous. We all have the same. You talk about equity. Equity comes from the cross. Equity comes from the kingdom of God. God has equally loved us. God has equally blessed us. God has equally equipped us. And God has equally saved us to the bone. Hallelujah. Equity is in the kingdom of God. And what the world even calls equity is pathetic. And yet people... People can't see that. Why? They've not looked into the glass. Into the mirror. Of God's word. The next one. Notice we're looking number four. Into a glass. The glory of the Lord. The only thing that's going to change you individually. Is beholding God's glory. You can't keep beholding your past. You can't keep living in your past. You can't keep living after the flesh and adopt victimhood status. If you're born again, you're not a victim. You're a victor. You're the head, not the tail, above and not beneath. And if you don't start nodding your head and acting spiritual, I might just preach. <laughs> that you're blessed coming in. You're blessed going out. You're a world overcomer through your faith in Jesus. There is nothing after my flesh that makes me privileged. Everything after my flesh leads to death. I've told you in the past, I'm French Indian. 
My grandmother was full-blooded, on my dad's side, Indian. On my mom's side, full-blooded, my grandmother was full-blooded French. It's not done a thing for me. I guess I'm a savage lover, but... I'm scared to ask Sue to vote. (laughs) There's nothing good in our flesh. I'm sorry. I, I feel just frustrated for the whole body of Christ. We have an opportunity for such a time as this where we born to be the people of God. To be the sanctuary of life and sanctuary of light. And sanctuary of God's kind of love. Why isn't it more prevalent? Because we're looking in every mirror. But the mirror of God's word. The six o'clock news is a mirror. And they would like to conform you into a certain image. Your families can be a mirror. And they would like to conform you into a certain image. Friends can be mirrors. The culture can be a mirror. And the devil and the spirit of antichrist will try to conform us into an image other than the image God has called us to be conformed into the image of His dear Son. So I'm going to behold the glory, not my past. I'm going to behold the glory, not the poverty I was locked into in my natural family. Again, two families. You're either in the Adam's family or the family of God. Oh, come on. You remember those guys? They thought everybody else was weird. They thought everybody else was confused. God's family's over here. That God has called us to sexual purity, not because He doesn't want us to have sex or have fun. Sex is a gift from God and he gave it to us within the boundaries of marriage and it's a beautiful thing. And if you take it outside of the boundaries of marriage, you pervert it and now you have incest and now you have pedophilia, now you have bestiality, now you have adultery, now you have homosexuality, now you have rape. Amen. And so God calling us to purity is for our good. It's for our safety. Here you can have sex all you want and, and, not, and not contract a sexual disease. Over here you can have sex and die. Amen. Amen. And over here they think we're weird. Over here you have God saying, love each other, love your neighbor as yourself. Do unto others as you would have done unto you. And you'll be healthy, you'll be happy, you'll be fulfilled. You'll have a functional family if you teach your children early to do unto your siblings as you would have done to you. Not do unto them as they've done unto you. That's the politics of personal destruction that we're experiencing today in a culture gone awry. I'm weird because we should treat one another with respect. 
And with God's kind of love. The Adams family is the one that's confused. The Adams family is the one that's gone awry. We need to get people by the grace of God out of the Adams family. Into the family of God. Amen. Well about eight of you. That's all right. That's enough to change a college campus. We're beholding the glory of God. Not our past. Not our flesh. Not our sins. We need to acknowledge when we sin, but you're not to be beholding your sin. You can glance at your sin. You can be convicted of your sin. You can turn from your sin and repent. That's a godly thing. Even godly sorrow. 1 Corinthians chapter 7 says that godly sorrow for, for hurting one another, for hurting our children... For hurting our community. Godly sorrow leads to repentance. So there's a place to acknowledge sin. A place to see I have sinned. I failed. But the only thing that's going to change it. Is beholding the forgiveness of God. Beholding the glory of God in Jesus. How much he has forgiven you and loves you now. So beholding the glory of God. Notice we're changed. That word is metamorpha. I've already taught on that numerous times. The change comes from within as we behold the glory of God. Notice whatever whatever we're beholding, we're changed into the same image. Man, I got to hurry. I'm bogged down again. But one of the reasons the devil wants to attend church more than most people is he wants you to become religious and get the wrong image of God in your brain. He wants you to see God as a mean person. He wants you to see God as someone who doesn't love you. He wants you to see God as someone who's after you for bad. He wants you to see God as a God of wrath and anger. And that you can never please. Why? Whatever image you're beholding, you become like it. That's why you see so many religious people that are mean. They behold a mean God. But once you see the true and the living God, once you see the glory of God, once you see the cross, once you see Jesus and how precious He is and you start beholding that, you'll be changed into that image. One of the reasons I can be so merciful and I'm excited about the mercy of God in my heart and in my life Because I can remember a day I wasn't merciful. And yet today, the mercy of God is incredible. Where did it come from? It didn't come from my flesh. It came from beholding the mercy of God that is mercy. The love of God that is mercy. And once I saw God's mercy for me, it's easy to be merciful to you. Because whatever image I'm beholding, I'm made into that same image. That's why it's called the fruit of the Holy Spirit in Galatians chapter 5 verse 22 and 23. Those nine different fruits of the Holy Spirit. As you behold the glory of God. You're changed into the same image that you're beholding. I meet Christians all the time that tell me they can't forgive. I've heard pastors on a national level. If I named them you'd know their names. And out of a pulpit said they simply can't forgive certain things. Tell me we've seen the glory of God. Tell me we've seen how bad our sin is. And how God has forgiven us. 
The only reason you can't forgive, dear one, someone, is you haven't seen by revelation how forgiven you are. You're not beholding the glory of God and how forgiven you are. How that you were headed straight for a devil's hell. Do not pass go. Some of you were breaking the speed limit to get to hell. And God cut you off. Hallelujah. And God arrested you. Man, I like it. I'm the sheriff of the Holy Spirit. God arrested you. In Jesus. And forgave you. And cleansed you. And washed you. And sanctified you. And justified you. And glorified you. And you get to see in this by revelation. And somebody does something to you. When you see you've been forgiven of a million dollar debt. When you were making a penny a day. And now whatever someone has done to you is a penny any sin. And it's easy to forgive it when you see how forgiven you are. So even by people saying I can't forgive. It tells me they've not seen the cross. They've not seen the glory of God. They've not seen this great redemption that Jesus has brought and bought. And paid for with his precious blood. He goes that we're changed into the same image. Number eight, from glory to glory. Oh, I got to hurry. Oh, bless my heart. From glory to glory. Change is progressive. And God is patient. I was so impatient with myself. I didn't realize that was creating an impatience with everybody else. And once I saw how patient God was with me, I became patient with everybody else. I don't know if you've asked God this question, but I've asked him, why haven't you come back? I mean, first of all, you said you were coming soon. I know a day is as a thousand years and a thousand years as a day. And it's probably in God's mind only been two days. Right? But for the rest of us, this is not soon. And when you look at all this death, I know some of you, I don't want to, I don't have time to elaborate on this, but it's just dark. It's just, it's sad. It just breaks your heart. And it's like, Lord, you can cut. Jesus can appear right now. And it's over. Evil is over. Sickness is over. Corruption in government is over. Corruption in our pulpits is over. Satan tempting you is over. He'll be bound. Cast into the lake of fire. And it's like when you get to thinking about it, it's like you understand the early church. Oh, come quickly, Lord. But I've asked the Lord. I wish when I came out of my body and I had my death experience that I could have had a conversation with him about that. But Sue cut my stay with the Lord short. (laughs) I've been trying to figure out why didn't I ask more questions? It's Sue's fault. She commanded me to come back. I had to come back. But if I had another chance, I would ask him, help me understand this better. Because I know how much God loves you. I know you don't know it, many of you. I know lots of you are watching. Millions. 
The response we're having overseas is into the millions. That people don't know how much God loves them. But I know how much God loves you. How near and dear you are to His heart. And how He wants nothing but good for you. He wants to encourage you every day, even in failing and falling. To get up and keep running your race. So Lord, I've seen how much you love us. Why haven't you come back to get us? Listen. The answer is He's patient for the harvest. Do you know the only reason you and I are stuck here suffering? Unnecessarily? Because God loves lost people. Aren't you glad He didn't come back before you got saved? About eight of you again. Amen. I'm sure glad He didn't come back before I got right. If He'd have come back in the 70s, I don't know what would have happened to me in my double-knit suits. God loves lost people. Jesus died, his, Jesus died for the whole world. He didn't just die for you and me. He died for everybody. And he is long-suffering, patient for the harvest. That's why I'm confident there's going to be a division in this great awakening. I don't know what it's going to look like. I know great awakenings take 30 to 40 years. Historically. We're in the beginning stages. But I know somewhere, I believe, I have seen, there will be a division finally. God will be clear. No one will go to a devil's hell and have an excuse they didn't know. I want you to listen to me. No one will go to a devil's hell and shake their fist at God and blame him. He will justly show every human being on the planet. I spoke to you when you were this age. I spoke to you when you were that age. I sent this preacher. I sent this employer. I sent that employee. I sent that good-looking, fuzzy-headed preacher. (laughs) I believe I receive. I believe I receive. (laughs) To love you unconditionally. To tell you what you're doing is wrong, but God loves you. To tell you what you're doing is wrong, you need to repent. To tell you you're on a path of death and destruction and care enough and love you enough not to hate you in my heart. But tell you, turn to the true and the living God. Repent of your sin. Call upon the name of Jesus. For there's no other name under heaven among men whereby we must be saved. And you will stand before a holy, righteous God. And He will will play back. Probably in video form. Every time he convicted you of the truth and you said no to Jesus Christ. You said no to the forgiveness of your sin. You said no to a God that loves you and died in the person of Jesus for every single sin you'll ever commit. You said no. God is patient. And we may have to suffer some things that I don't think we're prepared for. Because I have seen some things that I don't have a peace sharing. And I've had so much rejection trying to warn you about Fauci. Trying to warn you about these corrupt politicians. Trying to warn you about all the fraud. And vaccines. And vaccine mandates. And masks. And on on, on we could go with people being deceived. And asking to be lied to. We have to be patient for the harvest 
like God is patient for the harvest. And no matter what it costs us in these last days, we're going to live for Jesus. We're going to be loyal to Jesus. And we're going to love people enough. We're going to love them more than ourselves. Because we know if we say these things, if we live these things, we're going to be persecuted. We're going to be mocked. We're going to be censored. We're going to be rejected. We're going to be attacked. But we've gotten over ourselves. And we love people more than we love ourselves. I love you and your eternal soul more than you liking me. More than you accepting me. More than you patting me on the back. I want to be liked just like everybody wants to be liked. But as long as God and Sue love me. Well, as long as God loves me. I'm kind of hooked on Sue. I think that would kind of hurt me. I'm just trying to dig myself out of a hole here. Hallelujah. (laughs) We are being changed progressively from glory to glory. And listen, you need to be patient with yourself. I'm patient with you. God's patient with you. My point was, in case I lost some of you, if God is this patient with lost people, and he is, why would he be impatient with you, his child? This is what he had to show me. That he was patient with me when I was serving the devil. Now I'm serving him and may make mistakes. May be slow. I'm slow about some things. But bless God, I'm worth waiting on. Amen. God is patient with me. I need to be patient with myself. Listen, we need to be patient with each other. I believe it was Danny that mentioned, you know, church... I didn't even, I'm not out of my introduction. (laughs) I believe it was Danny that said, and I may not get the words exactly right, but church can be messy. Did I get close? Yeah. People are making mistakes. People fail. I, I, I have a friend at one of our locations that got delivered from homosexuality. And, and I don't care what the world says. He's delivered. There's hope for pedophiles. There's hope for people that have slept with animals. There's hope for people of any kind of perversion. And he texted me yesterday and he's gone a whole year with sexual purity. And I, I just rejoice. I just rejoice. That sometimes you come out of certain things and you may fail or fall. That doesn't mean you haven't changed. That doesn't mean you're not sincere. Doesn't mean you're a hypocrite. We're not hypocrites when we fall short of our high standards for ourselves that God has given us. We're hypocrites when we have no intent and we're just acting like we want to do right with no intent of our heart of doing right. I've got to meet some actors and talk to some actors. And man, that's a, that's a, that's a craft. How they can, they can make you believe a lie. That's what, they, that's what an actor does. He makes you believe a lie. They pretend to be something they're not for a paycheck. And they make a lot of money. Pretending to be something they're not. But when you're watching them, you're convinced they are the role they're playing. But as soon as the movie's over and they get their paycheck, they go right back to who they really are and had no intent of being that character. 
Hypocrites are people that come to church that are just going through the motions that have no intent of repentance, no intent of change. You failing and falling in your walk with God doesn't make you a hypocrite. It makes you honest, hallelujah. Makes you authentic. And the last one, number nine, and I'm in the red. You know, I, I grew up, I've told you Pentecostal holiness, and that I just remember as a kid constantly hearing, read the red and believe for the power. Y'all don't know what that means, I guess. The red is where Jesus spoke. So I'm officially in the red right now, so this is Jesus speaking through me right now. I'm in the red. And we need to believe for the power. What is the power? It's the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit. Man, I apologize. They gave me another week though. Praise God. I got one more shot at you. And I pray you come back and we'll talk about the glory. Because that's what we have to behold to change. And what's going to happen in the culture, there's going to be, I don't know how God's going to do it. But there's going to be some type of veil and piercing of a veil of darkness where God goes, and people see the glory. And it's going it's to lead to repentance. It's going to lead to changes. That's why we're building what we're building. That's why we're acting on our faith that a great harvest is coming. It's already begun, but it's coming. Father, in the name of Jesus, I just thank you. Forgive me. I... I I'm not sure how to do a second service now. Am I supposed to mess up twice or get this right? Help me to figure this out. Help me to communicate. Help me to help our families raise their children in the nurture and admonitions of the Lord. Thank you. Ah, So much to be thankful for. I just pray a blessing on our church. I I pray, Father, that if there's some type of movement as we're seeing on our college campuses, that we would be faithful to be a part of a church of prayer, a church of repentance. Five out of the seven churches, everybody talks about how great the early church was. Five out of seven of them had to repent. Help us to live a repentive life. Help us to change as you reveal your glory. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for being that help. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Somebody give the Lord thanks if you got blessed. Amen. So, uh, this Wednesday is Ash Wednesday. So, it'll be the beginning of Lent, and that's our preparation time. Looking forward to Easter in the history of the church people prepared themselves because often baptisms happen at Easter time because the water was warm enough that you'd get in it and not kill somebody trying to baptize them. So these 40 days were a time of preparation. And so as we're going towards that and we're thinking about the crucifixion, the resurrection, I'm reminded of something that Pastor Dwayne said that, that he loves you. And he and he really does. And I really love you. And as a pastor in this community, I, I have come to love the people. It's funny, I've come to love this home. And, and I have to tell you that 
I've mentioned it to a couple of people that I've I'm having seem to have allergies every time I go down south where we to where we came from and after being in Fort Worth this last Friday I've discovered I mean really and truly that I think I'm allergic to Texas I told Pam I said I never would have thought uh, being spending 50 something years there that I could come to the place where I am but I love this community and I love you and I love our church family and as we we look at how much God loves us in John 3.16 that he gave his son I love you so much but I don't love you that much I'll just be honest to to be able to give a child give my, one of my children one of my grandkids or something you know God loves us so much and when when he talked about the world especially in other places in the world in in the United Kingdom in Afghanistan um, Pakistan where there are groups that are meeting and listening to our services this morning even well they li- they'll listen some of them later and some of them have already listened to it but discovering how much God loves them we I believe take for granted have have come to a place where we're kind of complacent about it because we're so used to it but when you get a hold of how much God loves you you can't help but allow that to pour out to others and that's how we'll make a difference in this world we won't make a difference in the world with education better education better psychology better philosophy better anyology or off or any of those those suffixes the world will change when when they see the love of Jesus in us so as we go from this place I'm going to ask a blessing on you to prepare you for that. Father, thank you for your love for us and let us not take it for granted. Let us let us pour it out everywhere we go that, it, that really it would ooze out as we as we go through every day and every week where we, where we work and where we go to school and where we do all the, the things that we do, the places that we do life. May we just spread Jesus everywhere we go. Really and truly, just spread that love and how much we care for others, how much we bear with the the junk that other people have in their life and just love them through that. That we spread goodness where we go not because we preach a lot but because we live out a message of goodness Father you'll be blessed when we do that more than anything else we do if there's one within the sound of my voice right now that has a need Lord I pray that they they would share that that you've given us a mandate as the body of Christ to share one another's burdens. So I pray that they would avail themselves of of that opportunity to share what's going on, to agree in prayer for, uh, for what we want and
and what you want for us. I pray for healing for people this morning that whatever they're going through in in their mind, in their body, I pray for healing in Jesus' name. And Father, that we'll, we'll just be blessed to bless others. It's in his name we pray. Amen.